All right. Uh, remember also coming up Friday, April 3rd, Saturday, April 4th, we're going to be holding our first annual Sunday's Best Worldwide Intergalactic Convention. And uh, we're going to have some really great presentations from people who know and seek and love God, and maybe some who don't. Uh, we may have an atheist even uh, uh, stand up and give his Sunday's best on why atheism is the superior way. It's daring, but why not give them a voice so that you can test all things? Here in Salt Lake City, if you're at, in this uh, area at the time, that's during General Conference, For some of you might be. You might want to stop on in on the HOTM studios on Friday, the uh, April 3rd, or Saturday, April 4th. And we're going to let you know about the actual times and layout structure as we get a couple weeks in from here. Who will be there? Denver Snuffer of the Restoration Movement. He's a former Latter-day Saint. Lee Baker, also a former Latter-day Saint. A former Christian, now a Jew, if I understand it right. Father Christopher Gray of the Roman Catholic Church grew up in Utah. Uh, Bob Bergeron, he's an active Latter-day Saint. Myself, representing uh, uh, subjective Christianity in the Age of Fulfillment. And uh, potentially having a Greek Orthodox presenter as well as an atheist. Attendance is free, but space is limited. We'll give you more details as we draw closer Friday, April 3rd, Saturday, April 4th, and uh, we'll go from there. Got this email from Sarah B. in Southern California. Shauna, I've been meaning to email you. Don't worry. I have no hasty, I think it says hasty, but I think she means nasty comments, questions, or concerns. I'm actually emailing to thank you. If you don't mind, I want to share a brief introduction to who I am. We get these, you know, once or twice uh, a month now, and uh, they still warm your heart. My name is Sarah, and I am from Southern California. I was born and raised Mormon, not one anymore, exclamation point. I had a ridiculous patriarchal blessing that directly told me to serve a mission. I did what was, I was told and left for Mexico City, MTC, August 2019. Well, I was sent to Texas Spanish speaking. Needless to say, I came home in November of 2019. I met so many believers in Texas who asked me thought-provoking questions, directed me to the truth in the Bible, presented archaeological accounts of the Pearl of Great Christ bullcrap. My boyfriend, a guy I converted in 2017, sent me emails containing articles, biblical references of Jesus being God in the flesh. He left the mission while I was on my mission discovering the truth of Jesus Christ. This is happening more and more, you guys. This is a great email. I see how God changed this both at the same time from far away. Since December 2019, when the stake president released me, I have been free from Mormonism. My boyfriend and I have been listening to Hard Matter and Campus for weeks. They have really helped us, especially me. When the stake president yelled at me for coming home early, I turned on HOTM and laughed. When I was confused over John 1-1, I listened to campus and opened my mind and learning. When my parents threatened to kick me out, I looked up UTLM.org. Your honesty and diligence to teach the truth found in the Bible has really, truly helped us. I know that people usually email to debate, dialogue, ask questions, agreements, but I really simply want to say thank you to your staff, to you for your hard work. Thank you for recognizing and needing and filling in with the gospel. You have two people in California that listen to your podcast weekly. God bless you. Mm. Warms my heart when people, whoever they are, come to discover the truth, abandon organized religion, follow the true and living God. So we thank Sarah for her email. Speaking of emails, we've had a number of passionate 
responses about the abortion show. And so let me pass some of them on to you. This one is from, oh, sorry. Uh, This one is from Bob H. It's a little bit lengthy, but he brings out some things. I just happened to catch your recent program on abortion. I've personally been politically conservative in my life and have been and currently am considerably more liberal. Still, I don't generally engage people on the issue. This is in large part the result of having once raised my opinion on the subject to my mother and sister. They snapped at me, letting me know that not being a woman, I didn't have any business weighing in. I didn't know and never would know, they said, just what a woman was going through a pregnancy what she was dealing with. And in terms of coming to any final conclusion, I have accepted that admonishment in the years since. But as you continue tackling this issue from the perspective of believers in Christ, which I am sure you will, I do have some thoughts that ought, I think, to be regarded as part of the discussion. For starters, this is interesting. Statistically, one woman in four will have an abortion during her lifetime. That is astounding. Considering this, we are certainly obliged to ask the question of whether it is actually appropriate to suggest that one quarter of all women are murderers. No answers implied here, but I do think this real world fact needs to be taken into account when the matter is discussed. And a certain claim of those asserting pro-life position that merits deeper attention is that life, meaning full human personhood, hence worthy of full protection, under the law begins at conception. At that moment, a genetically unique new individual, unless it splits and becomes identical twins, has, they insist, come into existence. But let's look at what actually happens here. Should the fertilized egg reach the uterus and implant in its wall, a viable pregnancy results. If it doesn't, it's flushed from the woman's body unbeknownst to her or anybody else. And immediately following the implantation of a fertilized egg, the uterine wall changes, rejecting any other implantations. Any second or third fertilized egg that gets there, unless one hits roughly simultaneously with the first, resulting in non-identical twins, gets flushed. Some estimates of the percentage of embryos that do not implant are as high as 50%. But even if this number is too high and the low-end estimate is one-third, In short, and this point is not meant to be glib, this makes God, the author of human biology, the greatest abortionist in the world. In fact, if a couple, let us presume them to be married, pro-life Christian couple, hoping to make a baby, engages in unprotected sex more than once in a month, they are simply increasing the chance of creating embryos that will leave the woman's body and never result in a pregnancy. In short, whatever we decide societally, to do about abortions, any assertion that starts with life begins at conception argument impugns not only all married couples seeking to have children who engage in too much sex, but also God himself. For your consideration, sincerely, Bob H. It's a side of the argument, certainly, that is going to offend Uh, people on the other side, but it's a point of view that needs to be considered, and I think it has some uh, points that are interesting. Jacob wrote, I just watched your video on abortion. First, I have to say you're brave to cover such a topic. Having said that, I'm sorry, but the logic you use makes absolutely no sense unless you're a complete and total anarchist. 
By the logic that you use to say that we shouldn't make laws about abortion, then we also shouldn't make laws against child abuse or murder. The reason we make those laws against child abuse and murder is to prevent people from harming other people and interfering with their basic rights. Do you really think governments should remove those laws against murder? Your logic used in the show gave that impression, but I suspect you don't really think that way. The same way that laws protect an adult's life, they should protect an unborn baby's life too. The reason that many religious figures are taking political stances against abortion, not saying anything about child abuse or murder, as you pointed out in your show, is because we already have laws to prevent those things. Sean, by using your logic that if God doesn't stop us from doing it, then we shouldn't make laws against it, then by the same token, you'd want to repeal laws against murder. Is that really what you're saying? If not, then your argument makes no sense. I personally think that both the unborn babies and mothers' lives should be protected under the law. I also think that if we can tell the unborn baby's heart is beating, then we know they're alive and they should be given just as much protection under the law as you and I have. I understand laws might have to get complex to cover things like ectopic pregnancies where the mother's life is threatened, but that is an unusual circumstance and both lives should be taken into consideration under the law. Man's laws are made to protect people from harming each other, and they should continue to do so even in the womb. At least that's my take. Regards, Jacob. Again, this is another side of the, of the coin, and he brings up good points. Uh, some of the things he said I did not say and I didn't intend to mean, and, but yet nevertheless, he brings up points that are viable and have to be taken into consideration. I wrote back to Jacob, appreciate your take, brother. The bottom line point I'm trying to make is abortion is a symptom, not the problem. This was given to me by another brother who emailed me, and it's a really good point. that This is a summary of what I'm trying to say. Abortion is a symptom. It's not the problem. As Christians, we know the problem, and as Christians, we ought to spend our time and resources on that, not on symptoms. And this is my take. Let love reign along the way. Jacob's reply, thanks for the response. I think I agree in principle, but not the application of what you're saying. Was Jesus' parable about the Good Samaritan not entirely about taking care of our neighbor's symptoms? Very much so, he taught us to take care of the symptoms of others when he said, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you gave to me. And he goes on and on. That's what the scripture says. Taking care of our neighbor's symptoms is a very valid thing for Christians to do and very much taught by Jesus in the Bible. If we as Christians are supposed to feed our hungry neighbor and clothe when they're naked, how are we not also supposed to protect him when his life is being threatened? Of course, there's assumptions being made there. There's the argument. Uh, is that the same value as a living, breathing, walking around human or crawling around human being? One that's in utero, maybe at a certain stage, but we're getting down rabbit trails, which are argued endlessly by both sides. The child in a mother's womb is our neighbor, he concludes. And we should offer the child just as much protection as we offer the man's laws for our own lives. That seems very Christian to me. I think that the protection of human life is a very valid use of Christian time and resources. 
Could, can you really say that we should care for others as the Bible teaches, but not include the protection of life from someone who cannot defend themselves? He's, he's coming at me with the arguments. And you'll notice I didn't address the arguments. That's going to frustrate a writer in just a minute. But I don't address the arguments because the arguments are always made from both sides. Always made. That's why I didn't address the arguments. That's why I didn't bring them up. Because there's not really a solution to those arguments. Even though people think that they have the solution, there's not in this fallen world. My response to him are, your arguments are fine. Have at them. But they are all just arguments. I said, I learned from the Amish that we can extrapolate any message you want out of the Bible, which you have done with the Good Samaritan, which I see as a stretch. Simply put, and I, think, and I think you know this, I disagree with you and whatever you throw my way. It's not out of disrespect. I just know in advance the proofs and I find the all wanting, I find it all wanting in light of my understanding. I hope this helps. Go as you are led. I cannot refute your personal choices. I can only resent principles that undergird such. And that's the point. When you get into a tit-for-tat argument, I hate the phrase, but when you get into these arguments, you become polarized into your own prejudice and bias. And the other arguments don't matter anymore. And all we do is we split. And all those points were made in the show on abortion. I realize there's all kinds of um, things that are believed strongly, heartfelt about abortion by Christians who truly, sincerely are convinced that the minute the egg and the sperm unite, it is a human being that needs to be protected with every ounce of our vigor as another human being who is riding a bicycle <coughs> down the street. <coughs> I get that. I really do. But we're talking about solutions here. We are not talking about debates. We could make a platform on just take one side and go at it. But that is not going to accomplish anything in this fallen world. And I'm standing by that. Kathy wrote, my stepdaughter who lived in Seattle, Washington at age 16, she's now 49, got pregnant. She told her mother and her mother forced her to have an abortion. She wanted to have her baby, but her mother wouldn't hear of it. I watched her spiral down in her life to drugs, prostitution, and to being homeless. It breaks my heart. She has had two bouts of breast cancer, has lost her teeth from drugs. She steals to get by. Her mother has abandoned her. Her father has died. She was raised LDS. No one can reach her, and I have no idea where she is. She told me years ago that she was, when she was able to move back to Utah, that being forced to have an, having an abortion broke her. She has never been able to get over it and condemns herself. I wonder how her life might have been if she had been able to have her baby. Only God knows. It's just so sad. My daughter, who has been a midwife in California for 15 years, said it does something painful mentally and emotionally to woman when life goes out of her through miscarriage or abortion. God bless women who suffer from their loss in this area. Thank you for openly talking about these topics and for the, op and for the openness. 
It's long overdue. I love transparency. It set me free. God bless you uh, and the God you serve. So, again, a fantastic insight and one that I readily admit that I think abortion is uh, horrible personally and I think that it does damage to women. That is my main belief about the practice. However, however, as strong as I believe that and have never agreed with the principle of abortion, even in my own life when it was convenient to, for someone to have one in our minds and we didn't uh, go forward because there were false pregnancies, but I still believe we have a better way of approaching the subject than the way we're doing it. And, uh, I, I, you know, you're going to disagree with me, of course. And, uh, and some of you are going to agree with me and some of you are going to think it doesn't matter. Abortion is nothing. It's like getting a wart removed. I, you know, we're going to divide. That's the point. But uh, I made my case for it in the show and that's what it is. Jim wrote, this is pretty strong. I've been listening to you for three or four years and would have to say that I thoroughly have changed many of my views. I love your style of teaching and how you dive into the scriptures to show how you have arrived at your stance. You, by far, are the greatest biblical teacher I've ever listened to or watched. Thank you for that very generous compliment. Um, I've, I have really debated in my own head for days as if it would even be worthwhile to approach you on the topic of abortion. I have watched hundreds of hours of your teachings and do not recall ever seeing anything like what I saw I watched in that episode on abortion. The entire episode was your emotions, anger, and opinion. I saw absolutely nothing that was based in fact, which is unlike you. I would have to say that I honestly have no idea what you really believe. If you found out today that one of your grandchildren were being abused, would your opinion be, oh well, God let it happen? That seems to be your view. Do you believe that we should do nothing about the millions of abused, starving children in this world because God lets it happen? Should all of our prisons be emptied? It's just fanatics and zealots, parentheses, two of your favorite things to call people who have the audacity to think differently than you in, paragraph, in parentheses, that want to put these people behind bars. I'm sure all of these violent criminals have very valid reasons for their actions. Sounds like a fantastic idea to me. Just think of the amount of money we could save in this country. We have no need for any police, military, jails, prosecution. And he adds, this episode was way beneath you. And again, very impassioned. He likes the biblical teachings that we do, but this one pushed him over the edge. I wrote him back. I'm glad it struck a nerve, brother. The topic is not single-sided. My job on these shows is to challenge prejudices we all maintain and to stir God-loving people to look at their own and see the holes. I made my personal opinions very clear on the act of abortion, but my opinions are irrelevant to the situation at hand. So I look to God's solutions, which are very clear. Love, in whatever form that it takes, everything must be done in love. Thanks for watching, brother. 
like uh, many things that I say and do, it takes time for them to be understood. But I want to say something more to Jim's email. Jim wrote, I have watched hundreds of your shows and teachings, and I do not recall ever seeing anything like what I saw when I watched the episode on abortion. And there was a reason for that, my brother. The topic of abortion is not answered in the Bible, um, especially when we admit that we try to use the Bible to answer it. And when we say that, we have to, one, go to the Old Testament. We have to do that unless the New Testament cites the Old Testament. We have to go to the Old Testament and extrapolate and impute our prejudices into the verses we're using. We have to take verses that say like God loves uh, children and say, see, we have to take verses that say he's the creator of all things and say, see, in all of those circumstances, we are imputing our prejudices into the verse to make them say what we want them to say. I'm not making that up. That is what it is. If you can show me a passage that supports abortion, I mean, that uh, uh, is against abortion uh, in the Bible, that is literally against it, then I will stand corrected and I'll make an apology and I'll stand on that and make a public correction. But you really can't unless you interpret it through your own views. We have to admit when we use the Bible, and we have to admit this, that Jesus nor his apostles addressed abortion. They were being done in his age. They were being done for 1,500 years prior to his age. And that the closest passage, we have to admit, that deals with the loss of a baby in utero is in Exodus, and we covered that, and that God says if a baby dies uh, because of the actions of somebody outside of the womb on the woman, they should pay a fine. That is the closest we get in the Bible, in the Old Testament, to God speaking directly to what, the, what the, is going on in that woman's womb. We don't know that it's a human of exact uh, life. We do not know that. We can believe it with all of our heart. We might be right. We could be right. But we don't know it. And we don't have a biblical stance on it. And so when we use the Bible to, to say we can, it's really not fair. And it makes us look bad. I want to use the Bible for what it says, actually. And not just pull from things to make it say what I want it to say. And it just doesn't do it. We also, I don't think I have this email in here, but someone wrote and said, have you ever considered that it was the breath God gave the, the clay that caused Adam to be a living soul? When God breathed the breath of life into the body he formed, that that was when Adam became a living soul and that it's at the breath, the breath a baby takes that pneuma, that wind, that breath into their lives that makes it a living soul that otherwise maybe in utero, a baby is nothing more than like a fish that is breathing off the oxygen of another of, of, through the blood, but it doesn't have the same feelings and, and intelligence. You wouldn't think that a fish has a mind, will, and emotion. You would think a fish is operating on uh, whatever it is until, it, until uh, uh, you know, it gets the breath of life. So it's just another view. I'm not saying I agree with it, but it's something to consider. I, I personally do believe that in utero, at a certain point, that baby does respond to external things like a child. 
It does know the mother and the father's voice if they've been talking to it. I do believe it has something in it that is uh, entirely human, but I don't know when it is. And so when we, when we go to the huge argument that it begins at conception, that really becomes problematic and it becomes an arguable thing. And if, and if people say, well, it doesn't happen right at conception, then we go down the argument of when does it happen? You see, and these are all just arguments. We live in a sinful world. Um, the subject is super volatile, and so throw information, throwing information at it is a waste of time. So I resorted to throwing Jesus at it. Uh, Jim continues, he says, the entire episode was your emotions, anger, and opinion. I saw absolutely nothing that was fact-based, which is unlike you. I would have to say that I honestly have no idea what you really believe. Uh, first of all, I don't think the show was filled with my emotions and anger. And, and uh, I did share my opinions on what I thought about it, but my opinion was I think it's terrible. So I don't know why that would bother you, but I, I don't think it was filled with anger. And I do think it did have quite a bit of facts. I told you the statistics on a number of things in this world that go on relative to the abuse and tortures and deaths of children. So I think that I did use facts. But to make it plain in terms of my view on abortions, I find it horrible for the baby, for the mom, for the dad, for the family. That said, however, I pointed out that there are a lot of horrible atrocities in this world that people face, and the only solution to them is Jesus. And you cannot like that. You can get mad at that, Jim, but that's the solution. I want to talk about solutions because people will have abortions. And I want to know what the solution to that abortion is in their life so that maybe they won't have another one. Maybe they'll change their mind about having the first one, or maybe they'll be able to live with what they feel inside about having uh, the abortion in the first place. We had a caller last uh, when we did the abortion show. She's a woman. She's a mother. She has a child she loves, and she does not regret having that first abortion. We do. I mean, should we punish her? She, she's a Christian. Should we punish her for that? I don't think so. I think that she in this day and age is responsible to God for her choices, just like I am, just like you are. And we all should love her and each other, right? So Jim then asks, if you found out today that one of your grandchildren was being abused, I have two grandsons, would your opinion be, oh, well, God let it happen? That seems to be your view. I think my answer is going to surprise you. Jim, because that would be certainly be part of my response, you see, uh, because he would have let my grandchild be abused. You have to understand that. God is uh, all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, omniscient, uh, omnipresent, uh, omnipotent, and my grandson got abused. God allowed my grandson to be abused. And I would incorporate that thinking into my uh, counseling with their parents, with the mother, that he didn't stop it, not because he's a bad God, but because he's a good God. Because if he stopped every single thing that goes wrong, he would be called a despot. He would be called an autocrat. And he would be forcing everybody into righteousness and not giving us free will. So God does allow free will choices in this world. And Christians have to accept that. 
God does let it happen. And so I would absolutely believe that. Even though it would be insufferable to know that my grandchild or grandsons suffered, but it is part of the condition. And my job would be to teach them to trust that in this abuse, good can come out of it. Not to bemoan the fact that they were abused because we're all abused. We've all experienced heinous things. Are there laws to punish perpetrators? There are. Of course there are. But those are outside of the good news. And, and what God's solution is to this world of pain, God's solution to this world of pain is his son and Christian love, faith. God's solution are not man-made laws. Those are men's solutions. God lets men make the laws, but our laws do not give us, I mean, we have some really bad laws. And so if we say they're all God-authored, we'd have to say that God makes some really bad laws. So we can't look to the laws of man to govern everything. Uh, this is my point, Jim. Christianity is not political. Bottom line, this is the end thing. Christianity is not a police force. Christianity is not law-making. Uh, Christianity is the belief that God sent his son who lived, died, resurrected, and he is there having given his life for everybody who is seeking for his solution, his love, his comfort. When Christianity steps in and tries to navigate and police and enforce laws in the world, Christianity loses, and it always has, and this has always been the case. And that's what I'm saying. Jim adds, do you believe that we should do nothing about the millions of abused, starving children in the world because God lets it happen? Of course, I think that people should do something about the starving children. And I think that people should do uh, uh, things to help people who are suffering. I try to do my part with people who have difficulties and suffering and help out where I can. But I just don't think that abortion should take precedence over the starving children. That was my point. Um, it's like, why don't we focus as Christians on fixing the living people's problems? And then once we have those all settled and fixed, let's fix the problem of bringing more people in to suffer with those living problems. Uh, right now, what we're doing is we're saying, we need to stop all these babies from being killed in the, in the rhetoric. We need to stop them from being murdered, right? And, but we let them come in and we don't do nearly as much or have nearly as much passion for them once they're living. Now they get to earn their keep and now they get to fail. Now they get to suffer and be homeless and starve and everything else that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Jim says, should all the prisons be empty? I'm not against the law, brother. That, that was not my point at all. I am a Christian against, uh, I'm against Christians using Jesus to impose and create laws here on this earth. I am ardently against that because I don't believe Jesus did that. No one's asking me that question. All you're doing is asking me, do you think laws are important? Do you think laws are good? Of course I do, but not in Jesus' name because Jesus didn't go around and try to correct Roman law. He simply came in to love. Then he adds, it's just fanatics and zealots, two of your favorite things to call people who have the audacity to think differently in you that want to put these people behind bars. That is really unfair in so many ways, Jim. I call people fanatics or zealots who use God as their authority to justify radical responses to fixing social ills. 
That's who I call zealots and fanatics. Those people who took airplanes and flew them into the Pentagon and the World Trade Centers in the name of God, I call fanatics. That is doing something to, do, uh, to, to protest against something, a country, social ills, abortion, murder, in the name of God. God hates fags, Westboro Baptists. I am completely against that mentality because Christianity winds up being hurt when we embrace that mentality. That is, and, and, and that's what I, I think. So I do not refer to people who disagree with me as zealous, uh, zealots or fanatics. Um, if they refrain in their, in their ways from using God as their mouthpiece. And at this point, Jim slips down a slope of sarcasm. I am not a secular anarchist. Uh, I am a Christian anarchist and I go by what Jesus did in his life, what his apostles did in their lives. They were not political. They did not resist the political forces. That's what Christianity is to me. And when it slips over, I've already made my point. Jesus' kingdom, as he stated to Pilate, is not of this world. The world is not interested in Jesus' kingdom. Those two should not try to overflow to manage this world. And so our duty as sons and daughters of the king is to perpetuate his kingdom and the king of it, which are not of this world, which are of love, which are of the fruit of the spirit, and which are about the solution to people having abortions, not to the abortions themselves. And Jim in, ends the email with, this episode was way beneath you. And this comment supports my approach to the topic in the first place. And let me make this point and we'll, uh, we're going to wrap it up because we don't, I don't think we have any more. Jim, my brother here, because he's my brother, just because we differ on this, it doesn't mean anything. Jim and I would probably differ on everything under the sun when it comes to life in this world. But he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my brother. And he would have loved... Jim would have loved if I had done a show on abortion that railed against abortionists, that condemned people who have abortions, if I had called it murder, if I stood by all the rhetoric and all the stances and arguments that the pro-life people use in their arguments against it. Jim would have written me an email that congratulated me on being strong and courageous and standing up for truth. And at the same time, I would have had others who would have said, you have no idea what you're talking about. You are just, uh, you're just ranting on and jumping on one side of it. I'm pro-choice for these reasons and would have sent me email and email after email after email. And, and this is the problem with believers taking sides on this. And Jim's email is a perfect example of that. Because I didn't side with Jim on this, he writes an email against me. If I had sided with him, someone else would have written an email against me. And this is what happens with these topics. It's all used by darkness to keep us at each other's throats. And instead of uh, sharing the good news with people and the solution to these problems. And that's my point from the beginning. We do have a phone call from Will in Virginia. Will, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, what's going on, brother? I'm all right. How you doing? I'm doing well. I can't complain. Not that it do much good, right? No, it doesn't do much at all. Yeah. So, uh, I never called in. I've made a comment or two. I've watched your videos for a while. 
And I wanted to express uh, appreciation for what you do in questioning everything, and especially religious presuppositions like eisegesis versus exegesis, right? Yeah. Um, uh, examining things for what they are versus versus what we come in with presuppositions on. Um, I have a, a similar story probably to a lot of Mormon children in that I was raised in a religious cult. Wow. I know the, the C word is, is, is hard for some people, so high control group maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was, you know, from the ages of 5 to about 14, 15, I was raped and beaten on a regular basis. Oh, my gosh. Uh, by my stepfather. And, you know, when I reported him, he was in trouble for a few months. And then, you know, like my mother was directed that, you know, God wanted her back with him. So then, you know, a few months later after I reported him, uh, I got to continue being abused for another year or two. Wow. And it's all because of religious fervor. You know, it's all rules of men versus what's God's justice versus uh, man's justice, or that's not the right term. I think you know what I'm trying to say, though. Absolutely. And, you know, I've had, I have quite a, quite crazy backstory from my life. My, my entire life has been lived in extremes. Uh, you take the, the abuse from a young age, you go forward at the age of 16, I left, I was able to find my birth father and was able to make my exit out of the Jehovah's Witness cult. I had proved it false by the age of 16 biblically. I did a lot of research back then. And it just didn't add up scripturally, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, fast forward, I'm, I'm a medically retired uh, veteran of the Army now. I've been there, done that. Uh, you know, been in combat. I was in the first platoon to respond to the 9-11 attacks at the Pentagon. Like, I've had a crazy, a crazy life compared to a lot of society. Mm-hmm. And I heard you commenting a little bit ago, or someone commenting, well, what about the children? And, and uh, you know, like, you know, God either feeding the children or saving the children or something along that line. And the, the interesting thing for me is that from, the, from an early age, probably from the age of 17 or so, I've been able to use what I went through to help other people. And that continues to this day. I, I'm in regular contact through either phone or email hmm. with ex-Jehovah's Witnesses and other abuse victims. Um, and I've been able to at least give some understanding, let them know they're not alone. Uh, I'm no counselor or anything like that. You know, I'm just a layman mm-hmm. when it comes to everything. And uh, so, like, the interesting thing, I guess, my point was when I, when I, I wanted to call in, when someone's talking about the children, is that the crazy thing is when you look at the framework that God has set up to uh, support Christians, support believers, support humanity, uh, you can put a whole lot of different labels on it. And the, the, the peace that I have, you know, given human understanding, I shouldn't have the peace that I do. Right. And I shouldn't be able to help people the way I do. I should be in a biker gang, or I should be in prison, or I should be dead, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess it all comes down to, I just wanted to call in and say thank you for what 
for what you do. You know, I, I try to do activism where I can. I'm a nobody, you know, like, so it's, it's very small and my scope is much smaller than your scope. Uh, but I do really appreciate what you do in trying to help people out of religion and into that Gnosko relationship, yeah. uh, like John seventeen three talks about, you know. Hey, Will. And, go ahead, sorry. So can you share with our audience, I mean, you have gone through some ins- brutal stuff. And like you said, yes, so sir. many people turn to atheism, anger, hatred, and then yes, everything that follows from that. How did you, at such a young age, after having been raped and beaten and, and suffering abuse and then reporting it and then it, your mom getting back involved and it happening again for two years, how did you overcome that? <laughs> well, that, that was a long road. Um, when I left, I, I would say I was agnostic for a long time. Uh-huh. And this is also part of the problem with the Christian cults is that you know, they are supposed to have the answers. They have the direct link to God. Yeah. And, but then, you know, uh, one of their, their Watchtower magazines would come out, and within a few seconds, because I was giving talks on a weekly basis at, at my local Jehovah's Witness uh, church, Kingdom Hall, congregation, whatever you want to call it. So at, at the age of 15, 16, I was, I was up there on the podium giving talks every week. Mm. And so that you know, got, I did a lot of studying because of that. And so then they'd have something come out in one of their magazines saying something, and I would look at it, and I'd say instantly I could turn to a text and prove it false. And here I am as a kid thinking, these men are supposed to have a direct line to God. I know that I'm nothing special. How is it that I can read this and instantly turn to a verse and disprove them? Yeah. And, and so that soured me for many, many years, and it was probably, I think, 2012, so after I left, it would have been probably about 15, 20 years before I be- became a, an actual Christian. Mm. And uh, there was a lot of anger and, and hate in my life. I lived a very... Uh, you know, seeking pleasure type lifestyle, some of what you've talked about. Um, I won't use bad words because we're on air, but um, I went down a very fleshly route for a while. Mm-hmm. And, but there was, there was nothing, nothing lasted there. Yeah. And so overcoming that was, I guess, uh, when I finally let God into my life when I finally took a step back and said, okay, like I had some supernatural experiences, I, I had stuff that had happened to me that I was like, I can't explain some of this. And once I finally let go of my ego a bit, man, it was like an overnight thing where instantly uh, my entire life changed, my perspective on things. There were certain, even music I wouldn't listen to anymore because... And not in a religious way, but just I used to listen to some pretty hardcore stuff that was probably satanic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was, uh, so I then I switched over to finding stuff that wasn't, you know, quite so vulgar, I guess. So in summary, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, share, just what, give advice to our audience before we uh, depart with you about what they should do if they've been in a similar circumstance 
of having difficulties with, you know, abuse and all the stuff which many people do, what would you say to them? What encouragement, what, what would you say to help them come to the point that you did? Find the path to love. That's the hardest thing to do coming from my background. And, you know, the crazy thing is the last probably six, seven years of my military career, I was in special operations. And it was in that environment that I finally learned compassion. Mm. It was the, the, you know, it wasn't a John Wayne type environment. Uh, Out of all the guys I served with in special ops, it was, I can only think of one or two that hadn't been through abuse comparable to mine. And when I got looks of shock a few times, that guy saying, holy cow, you're the coldest person I've ever met. And that helped me realize. So it was people that had been through that, people that could understand. And that's a hard thing to find at times. I was very lucky in my experience. Mm -hmm. And then finding the path uh, of love through that, but that takes human connection. It takes connection with, with, with God. It takes connection with a higher power. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll be the first to admit that's not easy, especially when you're in the middle of something, middle of going through it. Sometimes the hardest thing to see is reality. Sure. And uh, I would say don't give up. You know, like there is a better life out there. You can, you can overcome these things. And, you know, I've held a gun to my head more than once when I was just done. Mm. Uh, But for whatever reason, I didn't pull the trigger. Um, And, man, but life gets better. That's what I can say is it it gets better. Don't give up. That's awesome, brother. Really appreciate you watching, Will. Really nice to meet you. It's an honor. Same here, brother. Same here. Thanks for the call. God bless you. Yes, sir. God bless you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. I get the opportunity to take a friend of mine over to a place where people who don't have homes live. And uh, last week or on Sunday, I took him to drop him off. And uh, on the curb, the place doesn't open till five. On the sidewalk was a woman and she had to have been 80, maybe 70, 75, 80. She was about the size of a child, about the size of a six-year-old, maybe. And she was just maniacally rocking back and forth, rocking back and forth. I dropped my friend off and as I left, I watched her and she was screaming something. Sitting in the dirt next to her was a guy who had cross-eyed and he was probably 30 and he had terrible teeth and they didn't look like meth teeth. They looked like disability teeth. He was filthy and he was just staring. And then there was a group of guys walking toward and they were obviously tied up in some kind of drug thing because they, they had the appearance of drug users. And the site was in one small place the size of this, half this building where I witnessed that single site dropping my friend off to this place to sleep that night. That's one place in this world. And it's a suffering world people are really suffering. It's, it's something we don't, can't even think about because if we let ourselves go there, we won't be able to comprehend it. We'll get so despondent. We are so fortunate that if you have a home to live in, cars to drive, food to eat, 
we are fortunate. And the people who go down the road of some of these horrible things and that have happened to them and that they themselves do need Christian love because I just don't see anything else working. You can throw money at it. It doesn't work. You can, you can argue it. You can legislate it. You can do anything. It's got to be love. And it's got to come from Christians first. And I just don't see it coming out of us first. In fact, I often see the, the, the love that we should have coming out of us last. And that's what the show's about. Let's get to the heart of the matter on these issues. It's frustrating because there's so much to talk about with them. And there's only so much time. And you're going to be bored to death if we beat them all to death. But let's just try to turn the tide of what has been done in the past relative to our faith. Let's step away from that stuff and let's just try to see things through different set of eyes. And we will see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.